0: Well, good morning, and thank you for all that. Pastor Clint, I'm sure, would uh, echo this, that we consider it a privilege to serve God and you folks in this place. So thank you again. Uh, we're starting a new series today, simply called David. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. Uh, David is somebody I think most of us can relate to, not on the physical level, but the spiritual level, an emotional level, because um, most of us have never been a king that I know of. <laughs> or fought a, 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 a tremendous battle, but um, much we can learn. So today's topic is going to be the reluctant hero. And I want to start with a little background. We're going to... David lived about 3,000 years ago, so a long time ago. We have detailed accounts of his life, which is awesome. Uh, folks that wrote uh, the text that we use um, in the Old Testament. Uh, but I want to start four hundred years before that, so that 's a really long time ago and um, talk about how the nation of Israel was established. So first, God established Israel as a theocracy. Uh, who knows what theocracy means, ruled by who? ruled by God. we are a democracy, we are supposed to be ruled by the people i don 't know how well that works, but theocracy is ruled by God so They were set up as a nation of laws administered by judges. The laws, of course, came from God. He was the ruler. He was the king. God was the king. Now, this is amazing because nobody else did this, right? All other nations and tribes had kings, and the laws come from them. The kings would decide and so forth. But Israel was to be different. They were supposed to be a theocracy ruled by God, laws from God, administered by these judges, so, now, that's how it started, but for 400 years, that's how they operated, and then we're going to get to a few years before we pick up the story of David, and here's what happens. Um, we're going to be reading this from 1 Samuel chapter 8. <clears throat> Samuel, he is the judge at this point in time, Assume, I'm guessing the last judge, um, he grew old, he appointed son, his sons to be judges over Israel, so that wasn't always the way, but Evidently, Samuel decided, well, I'll just make my sons uh, the next judges, uh, which was a mistake, as we're going to see. Uh, but they weren't like their father. They were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. And finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. All right? So, people say, wait a minute. Uh, we're not really happy with your choice. Um, the text goes on, look, they told him, Samuel, you're now old, which means you're not going to be around much longer, and we're we'll thinking about the future, and your sons are not like you. Now, they're evil people, they're not holy people. Give us a king, earthly king, to judge us like all the other nations have. We want to be like everybody else, and that's a... a Bad trap to fall into, right? <laughs> they want to be like everybody else. We want to have an earthly king, somebody that can rule. Up, we can actually see with our eyes. Now, when the problem with this is, this is a huge shift of authority, isn't it? In a theocracy, who has the authority? God has the authority. The authority. As soon as you switch to a kingship, then the authority shifts to an earthly person a king. Now, this was really significant because way back with Abraham, God established the nation of Israel and said, you're going to be a nation that blesses all nations. And somebody eventually, Jesus, is going to come through this tribe and bless all the nations. And they were supposed to be an example. They were supposed to be different. And people were supposed to look at Israel and say, wow, we have our gods, but our gods aren't as good as your God because you, your God takes care of you. He provides you for crops, etc., etc. So that was the idea. They were supposed to be different, they were supposed to point to Yahweh God. Now they're making a shift. No, 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 we want to be like all the other nations. Text goes on. Samuel wasn't really pleased with it, he was displeased with the request, and he went to the Lord. Okay, God. This is the situation. Here's what God says to them. Do everything they say to you. For if they re- they're not rejecting, they're rejecting me, not you. So don't take it personal. It's, but I don't think he was. I think he was upset they were rejecting God also. They don't want me to be their king any longer. They don't want me to be their boss any longer. They want to have some earthly person be their authority. Again, again, this is uh, such a huge shift. And the text goes on. Ever since I brought them out from Egypt, God did this tr- tr- amazing mi- miracle, they have continually abandoned me. So this isn't anything new. They keep messing up, and they're following other gods, and this is what they're doing now. They're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. And if you read the text, well, they, he says, okay, the king is going to tax you, he's going to take a tenth of your income, he's going to take a tenth of your crops and your herds, and he's going to draft your men into the army, and he's going to draft your women into uh, 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 servitude or service. And after Samuel tells him all this, what do they say? Give us the king anyway. So, Samuel made it clear that, you know, the choices you had, and they made this choice. Now, <clears throat> we're going to look at King David, or David who becomes king. Uh, many consider the greatest king that Israel ever had. And one thing about David that I th- really uh, love and I, I want to share with you during the series is, you have to look at all characters, but especially characters of the Bible, at their Character, who they, what they are like, and I'm going to give you a couple of character qualities of David here. First, he was reluctant. He wasn't power hungry. He wasn't power seeking. He was the eighth of uh, uh, and last son of his father, um, shepherd boy. Uh, fame was kind of thrust upon him. He wasn't seeking it, which is kind of. Uh, different than, especially in our selfie world, right? <laughs> um, he would, but he was also confident, both in confident in his own ability, but most importantly, confident in his God, as we're going to see. And then he was humble. Pretty rare. Uh, really important quality. Uh, definition I like is, it's not that you think less of yourself. Oh, I'm, I'm a nobody. No, no, no. It's not you think less of yourself, it's you think less about yourself. You just don't think of yourself. You're not self-centered. You're thinking about others. And so that was David. So he was like any other king that came before him or after him. Probably any other king or politician that we even know today. Character of David was going to be huge in this series. And one other thing about his character is this. David loved the law even when the law condemned him. This is so rare. What do you and I do when we get caught doing something wrong? We defend ourselves, or we lie about it, and we argue with other people instead of saying, oh, yep, I'm sorry, I I, I messed up. Uh, Please forgive me, I want to make restitution. That's the type of person David was. And I encourage that should be the type of person that you and I are. So, he never confused about who the boss was, who were the king was. And he was broken, if you will, by the law. He was brought to repentance by the law. We sometimes say we break the law. Well, we can kind of do stuff the law tells us not to do, but the law breaks us when we do things, especially God's law. It breaks us. It damages us. It punishes us. And one other thing here. Success Never confused him, but it often confuses us, doesn't it? When we're successful, maybe financially, we can become proud of, our, oh look at how smart I am financially. Even if we're successful as parents, we may, may brag about how you know how great my parent I am, how great my kids are, and doing that we're putting other people down. Uh, you're not as good a good parent. I mean, look at your kids, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. On the other side. Sometimes with our kids, they push back against us, don't they? And they're uh, um, not respecting us. And we'll talk about this in, in, in a few minutes. So, David didn't put himself on the throne of his life. He became king of a nation, but he didn't put himself on the throne. Now... To understand somewhat what's gonna happen in the story today, we have to understand warfare 3,000 years ago. Completely different than today. It was up front, up front and personal, eye to eye combat. Most combat, you really don't see the people you kill. Airplanes and drones and even with rifles. Eye to eye, battle line to battle line. You saw the fear in the other person's eye, they saw the fear in your eye. And we can't understand from watching these Hollywood movies the, the, the noise, the confusion, the smells of, uh, of hand-to-hand combat. And it would be bloody, and you if, if you survived, you'd have blood on you. Some of it might be your enemy, some of it might be yours. I thought this was interesting. They often wore very few clothes because they didn't understand about germs, but they knew if, if you had a cut on you and part of your dirty clothes or dirt got in that cut, you, you know, your future wasn't uh, looking too good. So with that background, that upbeat story about combat uh, 3,000 years ago, we're going to look at the story uh, today. And it's very familiar. Even in the, in the non-church world, they know about this story. I was watching Sports Center a couple of weeks ago, and one of the athletes saying, this is kind of like David and Goliath. I don't even know if he knew it was in the Bible, but he meant what? You know, one of the teams were way better than the other team. So, we're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel 17. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle, camped at Succoth in Judah. Saul, that was the first king, encountered, um, countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. Uh, so, the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills of the valley between them. So we got one army on this hill and one army on this hill and there's this valley in between. Now nobody will go down in the valley. Why? Because what's the most important thing about military uh, logistics? You, gotta, yeah, you want higher ground. So whatever army went down into the valley, they were at the disadvantage. The other army had the higher ground. Another thing they did back then, rather than both armies fighting, they would pick one person from each army to fight and whoever champion won then the other army would surrender, uh, which was kind of fascinating to me. So that's what the proposal is here. Then this guy named Goliath comes out. (laughs) He's the champion of the Philistines. He came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Uh, I never met anybody that tall. Uh, People today are taller than the Israelites were back then. They were probably five, two or five, three, the average soldier. So this is like, Really, really huge, and then he consequently had huge armaments. The shaft of his spear was as heavy as a thick, uh, thic- and heavy as thick as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with iron spearhead that weighed over fifteen pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him and carried a shield. Now, this is a fascinating thing. We're talking about the fighting line to line, Goliath was big enough that he could stand behind the front line. And still kill people without being threatened to be killed himself. The armor bearer walked ahead of it. So Goliath stood and shouted taunts across (coughs) to the Israelites. Here's what he said. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion. You don't need everybody to come. And and you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. So he suggested this is the way they would settle this dispute. And here he goes, he says, all right, if he kills me, your champion, we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, how did they respond? Like you and I probably would, right? Terrified and deeply shaken. Now, let me just say this. This went on for 40 days, morning and evening. So he had done this 80 times. And what did the Israelite army done? Nothing. He hadn't done anything. So, important principle here. When we place, we place our hope in people and, or things we depend on, that's what we do. I got to thinking, I depend on my car to bring me to church on Sunday morning. If my car didn't work... Oh, the slide's not up there anymore. Okay. If the slide didn't work, uh, I would be directly, the uh, car didn't work, I'd be disappointed, wouldn't I? So that's what happens with us. When the people, only people and things that can disappoint us are the things that we try and depend on, whether it's car, or most importantly, like our parents. Why do our par- can our parents disappoint us, or our spouse disappoint us? Because we <laughs> depend on them. The neighbor's parents don't disappoint us, and we don't depend on that. So this is an important principle in life. Our hope is in the people we depend on and the people we depend on are the ones that can disappoint us. In this scenario here, who were the Israelite army depending on to fight Goliath, do you think? Now, we didn't, I didn't tell you about how Saul got king, picked king. One of the reasons Saul got picked king was he was a head taller than everybody else. <laughs> kind of a crazy reason, Right? So if you're an Israelite soldier, who do you think ought to go out there and fight Goliath? Well, the king is responsible, and the king is the biggest guy around. So why isn't the king? And he had had some military success in the past. But Saul wasn't doing it. And so after 40 days, the hope of the Israelites, of Saul doing it, or anybody doing it, had pretty much vanished. And so David enters the scene. David's about 15 years old. Teenage boy, shepherd. His dad sends him to his three oldest brothers who's in, the, in Saul's army to bring him some food. And so consequently, a 15-year-old, he's going to check out what's going on. And he, he sees Goliath out there, and he see here's the taunts of Goliath. But David's response, 15-year-old boy, David's response is completely different than all the soldiers in Saul's response. They were terrified. What was David's response? He was offended. He was offended. So, text goes on. David asked a soldier standing nearby, What will a man get for killing this Philistine in his defiance of Israel? There's going to be a big reward, obviously. And part of the reward was well, one was you, your family would never have to pay taxes, which is huge, right? And the other was that you get to be the son in law of the king, King Saul. But here's his main point Who is the pagan Philistine anyway? That he is a allowed to defy the armies of the living God. All you folks, all you soldiers have been standing here listening to this guy insulting our God for 40 days. So David, 15 years old, had a clarity nobody else had. They didn't see Goliath as this huge soldier. He saw Goliath as someone insulting his God. Now, Saul finds out that somebody, vol- David volunteers. And Saul finds out about it. He's all excited. Somebody's volunteer, I won't have to do it until David walks in. And as soon as David walks in, Saul's excitement goes where? He, you're just a boy. You have no experience. You're not a soldier. We have, you have no chance. And he begins to criticize David. Now, this is really important. Did David let criticism stop him? You shouldn't let criticism stop you, especially when you are on the Lord's side. So David explains to him, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not as, you know, a bigger risk as you think. I'm not as helpless as you think. And the text goes on. I've done this both to a bear, lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine, for he is defied again. What is his focus? This can't go on. This guy can't keep defying our God. He said, The Lord has rescued me. I mean, he fought this lion and bear, but the Lord has rescued him from the claws of the lion and the bear, and he'll rescue me from this Philistine. And fall, no, back where we are. <laughs> go ahead. And then Saul says, Okay. Go ahead and may the Lord be with him. Which is amazing to me because if this boy loses, guess what happens to the whole army? They're slaves to the Philistines. I guess that's how desperate he was. So David walks out there. Well, there's this funny part where he puts on Saul's armor and it's way too big and he can't use it. And he said, no, 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 I don't need all that stuff. He takes his sling and five stones and heads out. 15-year-old boy (laughs) to faith Goliath. And here's what he says you come to, well, first Goliath insults him. What am I, a dog? Yeah, what, anyway, you can read the text. You come with these sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in name of the Lord of the heavenly armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And everybody assembled there will know that the Lord rescues his people. All right, so it's not about David, it's about his God. But he's not going to rescue him with sword and with spear. David didn't have that, did he? (laughs) And this is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And most probably know the story. He goes out there with his stone, hits him dead in the uh, bullseye, in the head, knocks him out. He has no weapons, so he takes Goliath's sword and cuts his head off. You know why he cut the heads off back then? For proof. They didn't have selfies or self, cell phones take pictures. Um, you, tell, you say you killed Goliath? Yeah, here, here's his head. Here's proof. <laughs> so that seems gross to us, but that's what they did. And he automatically comes the most famous person in Israel. Again, reluctant hero, but now he's this hero. And so we can draw this conclusion. Those who hope is in the Lord like David's don't need to be afraid. And he wasn't. And to get some kind of uh, part of his emotions and his mindset and his perspective, we're going to read one of the Psalms. David wrote a lot of Psalms. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior. My hope is in you all day long. That's the mindset of David, even in this very traumatic, difficult situation. So those who hope is in the Lord, see clearly. He didn't see a giant. He saw somebody who was defying his God. So he was confident in his God and God's ability that God gave him that he was up to the task, but he also walked humbly. And humility is so huge because you and I can't control outcomes, can we? I'm, you know, my wife and I did the best we can raising four kids, but we don't know how they're going to turn out. You're raising your kids, you, you, you can't control outcome. But we trust in a God that can and does control outcome. So David was Israel's greatest king, not because he killed Goliath, because as king he never confused himself with the king. Now, so David's a... This huge hero, he's killed Goliath. He, we would say he's on a mountaintop. So where's the only place you can go once you're on a mountaintop? Down. If we're going to see one of David's down times next week. Uh, hopefully you can join us. And my assignment or suggestion to you for this week is to pray that prayer. Can you imagine we prayed that prayer the first thing we got up in the morning and every time we walked into a meeting or walked into a, a conversation with someone that we'd voice that prayer in our heads anyway. So let's say it together. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long. Now, I don't know all of you, but your situations, but a group aside, I am almost guarantee you that someone has a Goliath in their life. A Goliath of a relationship, a Goliath of a health issue, a Goliath of a financial situation, a Goliath of a school situation, employment situation, I don't know what it is. You can't defeat Goliath in your own strength. You can't control outcomes but you can trust in the Lord your God. Not just once in a while, but all day long. And i also give you some readings so you can kind of fill in the story that I shared w- with you uh, this morning. And we'll probably do this this whole series because it's very detailed. The scripture is very detailed in it t- what it tells us about David. So do the readings and pray the prayer and hopefully see you next week. Let me pray and we'll have a song. let you go. Oh, God, what an amazing story. What an amazing guy, a 15-year-old kid that would have that kind of faith and trust in you. And you are, you're always faithful. <laughs> you did uh, provide. And Goliath was defeated. And God, I, I just pray for those folks with Goliath in their life right now, that they would trust you all day long. And that, God, you would prove yourself faithful. Uh, pray for anyone that's not stepped across that line and become a Jesus follower, that today would be the day. Uh, the Bible describes it as going from death to life. There's nothing more radical than that. Uh, relationship with you, God, empowered by you, a purpose from, from you, forgiveness from you, eternity with you, a uh, free gift. All that's necessary on our part is to accept it. But once we accept it, God, you're the king, you're the boss. And so... You rule our lives instead of us ruling. I thank you for that because you're a lot better at it than I am, God. And I thank you in Jesus' name, amen.